episode 27 of the IntelliCast podcast brought to you by EMI Research Solutions. My name is Adam Jolly. Joining me as always is my co-host Brian Lamar. Hey Adam, how's it going? Feeling great. Summertime. It is summer. For those of us without kids, we have another month. Uh, ugh. kid, uh, boy one started last Wednesday, first grade. Oh. It's great. Who cried more? Uh, no tears. Wife ready to go. Nice. Shipped him, pushed him in the back onto the bus. <laughs> That's awesome. It's pretty nice. <laughs> Uh, as always, IntelliCast is brought to you by EMI Research Solutions. You can reach to us at IntelliCast at EMI-RS.com. Uh, EMI on Twitter is EMI underscore research. IntelliCast is IntelliCast1 on Twitter. My own personal Twitter, Adam Jolly, J-O-L-L-E-Y, all one word. Brian, uh, how's the Google Plus? <laughs> I'm going back to MySpace. Love it. You know what? Never had any problems with Tom, with Tom taking my data. <laughs> Tom didn't do anything wrong. Tom didn't care at all about sovereign identity. Why did we turn on Tom? All he was doing was sitting on his computer in front of his little whiteboard. <laughs> right. He never had to talk in front of Congress. Right. He didn't have to testify. He's no robot. He's not determining what's fake news. Yeah. Last I checked, Tom never did anything with Russia to give Trump the election. <laughs> nope. Come on. We turned on him. He did us wrong. You know, you don't miss the water until the well runs dry. Tom let Obama win. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Moving forward. <laughs> um, what's going on with you, Brian? What's going on? Oh, Personal you know, life. Um, you know, not much. Um, the Cincinnati, the tournament, the tennis tournament was in Cincinnati this weekend, and I've gone five straight years, and I wanted to go so bad, I didn't get to go. This is a dream final this year, too. Uh, Federer, Djokovic. Our, our, we, talk, we talked about them not yeah. on a podcast not too long ago. Um, wish I could have gone. Didn't make it. I didn't either. Thought about it. Watched it yesterday, yeah. Um, but did not go. I am, uh, I am in this time of year, like the two or three weeks before football starts, when you are a Cleveland Browns and a Notre Dame football fan, are the best time of football season. Yeah, you have hope. All it is is hope and optimism, <laughs> yeah. and guessing how many wins you're going to have, and yeah. listening to podcasts about them, and everything about my life like revolves around hope of a team, not actually the results. Um, it's a great place to live. It is a great place to live. That's, I didn't do much this weekend. It's uh, I'm also gearing up. This coming weekend is my fantasy football draft. Oh, that's one of the best days of the year, right? It's the only time I care about fantasy football. Is the draft uh, day? It's uh, I know you don't like fantasy football, and I, I we've talked. I agree with 100 percent of your of your reasons. I hate it as well, <laughs> but I do love the draft. But and you've had it with the same group of friends for quite a long time, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Are, that keeps continuity with your friend group, and that's kind of fun. Right. I understand that. There are 12. This is our 12th year. There's 12 people in the draft. Six of the people in the draft were either at or in my wedding. Yeah. Um, like five of them were in my wedding. Uh, yeah. A bunch of friends, a bunch of stories. Actually, that yeah. leads me to um, kind of the um, – the drama of the week oh. at the Jolly House oh. is uh, breaking news. I believe it or not, I love the, how like sometimes we we come up on discussions. Like this morning, we were talking about uh, we're reading as a team the Dale Carnegie um, How to Win Friends and Influence People. <laughs> yes, and it was about don't fight every battle and yeah, how yeah. to argue gracefully, which yeah. is a weakness of mine. Yeah, but um, a strength of mine is that believe it or not, I'm very good at arguing people on fantasy football message boards. <laughs> And Put that on your resume. It is. It's up there. It's really high. LinkedIn profile. Um, Skills. I, it's led to um, one of the men in my wedding. Uh, we got into a spat 
on a message board one time. We didn't speak for five years. <laughs> He's back in the league now, so it's fine. Um, over the weekend, I made aware of a comment I made a couple weeks ago for was finally seen by somebody um, who's threatening um, physical altercation at the draft this year. Yeah, it's great. My wife is now banning me from going to my own draft. I'm calling in, and I'm so I was still I'm, I'm more excited than I ever have been. We, we might hear later on in today's episode about you with another online spat. <laughs> yeah, I think something's <laughs> going to come up. <laughs> How about Apparently, that segue? Good segue. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, you know what, let's segue instead to some MRX news. Uh, so, one of the things that came out last week, after Measure, who is uh, a very fast-growing panel company. Yes. Um, very well-respected. Yes. A lot of people coming from, uh, whether it's Bonnie Breslauer from Lightspeed, um, people like, salespeople like Alan Mavertish, Ted, I mean, all these guys, they've been yeah. in places, they have a lot of integrity, and they had uh, a new round of funding, got $13.5 million, and from that, also changed their name. And yes. their new name is... Disco. Disco. <laughs> Disco. Longest pause we've ever had on the pod. I thought you were going to say it. And then I liked that we paused. And I was just going to let it keep going. Um, Disco. Disco. With a Q. Can't forget the Q. I do like the uh, the explanation about it. You're yes. trying to discover, but adding quality to your discovering because I think that's great. Yeah. Um, but Disco is something else. <laughs> a popular form of music. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very popular. And I, it's got me thinking like... Um, Disco is is fine, whatever, right? I mean, you can change, you can name your company, whatever, and, and really, it's about what you do that matters, all that. Um, but I feel like in market research, there is a lot of name changes, and like it very like impactful name changes. Yeah. So you have Disco with the change of the name. Um, a few years ago, I remember when Biosoft changed to Jabunu, and you're like, what? That's yeah. like a complete different change. Why would you do that? Yeah. Um, the when critical mix changed from what was it um started with an i when authentic response and everybody got together i don't know the old critical mix name i can't remember what it was um united sample changing to usamp and then to um they changed after that right before they were bought by ssi really yeah i can't remember the name of that so like all these are very impactful name changes, yeah. right? But now research and S- research now and SSI are going to go through a name change. They are going to change their name eventually, yeah. right? And it makes me wonder, do market research firms do market research on name changes before they do them? <laughs> Brian, you've been around uh, during acquisition and name changes in the past. Have you ever heard anything like this? Uh, you would think there might be some internal discussions. I think at Research Now, there's a contest I don't know if you, I don't know if you um, have a, a, con, a contest slash brainstorming internal discussion as consider that market research. I don't know. Um, I I don't know. I'm not doing any like traditional like actual market research like with a focus group. I doubt it. We didn't. We've changed our name like four or five times. I mean, if you're around long enough, yeah. you know that EMI Research Solutions was Easy Mail Interactive. Yeah. EMI Surveys. Yeah. EMI. Online research solutions, and then now EMI research solutions. Yeah, um, we interviewed like five or ten people, but then basically we were trying to encompass more, and we always wanted to keep the EMI around because there was some kind of brand equity along, around with that, so people like yeah, it would just somehow show up if you're searching for it. But it makes me wonder, like, um, 
it makes sense for brand for active measure. A lot of times they're like they're building brand equity right now and who they are. Um, and you're relatively new. So like losing any part of active measure AM or whatever. And because you have people that have been in the industry for so long, yeah. like you still have a lot of brand equity and your equity is in the people that you have. Your brand yeah. is your people with them. But if you're a newer company or even like with research now SSI, where you're like, you're having this huge like turnover and people and panel right. and everything. Um, could you get lost in the shuffle a little bit? I think so. That's it too. I, I bet that I bet they hired a branding agency and oh, a branding sure. agency talked to you know the owners and um, talked about hey, what do you want your brand to represent and what are the qualities of your brand and what blah blah blah. And then the branding agency probably did a little, maybe done a little bit of research on the side, right? You're and then um, then brought them a couple options and. It's a lot. I've never really understood. And I always wonder, like, I mean, how much would it be to just ask when your clients like, hey, if we change our name to this, yeah. would you would it impact you? Would you care? And yeah. if they just said yes, would you still would you not do it? Well, I wouldn't. I mean, I'd still do it. Probably someone from Research Now told me that they chose a name for their new company and then they couldn't get the um, the trademark to that name in certain global really? markets. Yeah. So they had to start from scratch. So there's there's that aspect as well. There's like legal and trademark stuff. That complicates things, probably. Just go. That's why you go. Just go with a Q. No one's got that. Yeah, they, they got it. I like naming things. <laughs> uh, let's move to you know. Instead of current events today, let's uh, let's jump into our own little Mount Rushmore for me and you. Yeah. So I know we're gonna do a Mount Rushmore with our guest today, but I wanted to do a Mount Rushmore for you and I um, about bucket list. I think about this because. I feel like we, like as we're getting older in life, like we're crossing things off our bucket list. Even when like we were going through and making our list, we're like, when what haven't I done yet? Do I really want to do? So today's Mount Rushmore is sports bucket list. Four things that you haven't done yeah. that you want to do before you can't. We'll just yeah. say can't, not die. You just can't do it. Right. Right. Um, like sitting in the top row at Yankee Stadium when you're 80, you can't do it. Right. Right. Okay. Brian, go with number one. Number one, I'm going to put with a quick one, a Super Bowl. I've never been to a Super Bowl. Big NFL fan, never been. Um, Kind of had that, but I'm going to scratch it out because I was thinking about it before. I'm going to say um, Las Vegas for a big fight, big title fight. I've actually done that. For Doesn't MMA. have to be boxing, but could be a UFC or whatever. I did a UFC big title fight, and um, the best part of it was yeah. the weigh-ins. <laughs> really? <laughs> the day before, which were free. Hey. It was at the um, MGM Grand. It was pretty yeah. cool. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, number one. Okay. So I did one. You do one. And yeah. now uh, you go. All right. I've never been to an English Premier League match in England. And so I would love to go, like, I don't know, to Manchester City or Man, Arsenal. Man City. That'd be yeah. great. Like, that right? would be amazing. It's just to get into that atmosphere. I've never done that. I'm with you. That does sound good. Um, my number my next one, I'm going to stay in Vegas. This is totally personal to me. And I, I mean, there's no reason why I shouldn't do this because this yeah. isn't like, but uh, NBA Summer League. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. We talk about that. It's on my birthday every year just to go out there, spend four days in Vegas, see three or four different games, see a lot of rookies, a lot of struggling vets, hang out. Love to do it. That sounds awesome. It sounds great, right? Now, there's, there's Orlando and Las Vegas, right? But there Orlando is. sounds like horrible. In general, yes, um, but especially during that. Well, they've they've done it now to like you play a couple, you play some games at like some home cities. So like I think Utah had okay. like three or four games before um, a couple other teams, and then everyone meets in in Vegas or Orlando. I don't know if, okay. if they have still ever. Yeah, I think they I still know. have Orlando. But yeah, I agree that would that would make my list if it uh, if I had a large bucket list. That's on it. Number three, I'm gonna go to the Olympics. 
I would like to go to the Olympics for like a week. Like if it's in your town and you can just go, oh, let's go to some boxing today. Hey, let's go to some track and field. Hey, there's swimming going on. Hey, there's polo. I don't know. Ugh. It's a great. That's a good one. My number three is uh, the Masters. Yeah, I thought about that one. Never been. I'm, I'm would surprised love to been. What's holding me back? Besides trying to be really good and exceed in my job. I enter the little lottery every year. Every single year. Never win. Never win. Uh, what's your number four? What's your last one? Number four is a Kentucky basketball fantasy camp. Sure. And you can do this. Well, that's expensive. Is it really? Yeah. Like, I just, like the, this year's, the Kentucky basketball team went to the Bahamas for some summer league games and their fantasy camp was in the Bahamas. So not only are you paying to do the fantasy camp, you're paying to go to the Bahamas and you get to be coached by like former coaches and there's celebrities there and you have actual games with referees and really? there's a trophy presentation and you get to hang out with the team and go to dinner with John Calipari. I mean, that sounds like a good time, right? It's a pretty solid time. But that's, that's 10 good. grand. That's a lot for a couple days. Yeah. Uh, but that's on my list. That's a, that's a good thing on your list. Uh, my last one is uh, WrestleMania weekend. <laughs> Easy. Of course. I uh, So this last weekend was um, SummerSlam. Yeah. Which you, you get a chance. I think is the best. Yeah. I think SummerSlam is the best of the wrestling. Uh, and they do everything in Brooklyn. So it starts with like Friday night. There's like some live podcast recordings, some indie shows. Saturday night is the minor league. Sunday night is SummerSlam. Monday Night Raw, Tuesday Night SmackDown. That's, that's amazing. It's a like, lot. Like that's kind of what NASCAR did. Yeah, it went from a race to a whole weekend, events, right? Whole weekend. That's really smart of them. I would love to do WrestleMania. It's uh, it's in New York next year. Oh, so that might be fun. It's in uh, it's in MetLife or JetBlue Stadium, uh, where the Giants play. It's called JetBlue Stadium. It's called JetBlue. Okay, I'm pretty sure. It is. No, it's not. Met it's Life. called MetLife. It's not MetLife. Okay, here's the thing. I have a joke that it should be called Jet Blue because the Jets yeah. and the Giants, whose main color is blue, oh, play yeah. there. That would make more sense. So I confused a joke inside of my head with reality, which is starting to scare. It'd be a little scary. I have let my own jokes become reality. This is this has got to be what Trump feels like. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Imagine this plus senility. <laughs> 40 years later from now. <laughs> oh my gosh. What's happening with me? This Jet is Blue. Our... Hey, shout out to one of our podcast sponsors, JetBlue. Yeah, JetBlue. If you're looking for inexpensive flights out of the Boston area, try JetBlue today. Increasing flights at Logan today. All right. This is probably the last podcast. Let's be honest. I've lost my mind. It's the last one. <laughs> no, it's good. Uh, so let's move on into the interview section. Uh, Big interview today. Big yeah. interview for me. Yeah. We interviewed Dr. Aaron Levin of NKU, the person who taught me at a young age, the person who got me in this job, the person that pushed me to be a success in life. Uh, you were there. Yeah. Third wheel in it. Yeah. <laughs> in this interview. What are your thoughts? Uh, one of my favorite people. I've got to know him really well the last few years. I'm very fortunate. I think he's, you'll hear in the interview that he's great for the community, great for marketing research. Um, and what your story about him is uh, there's probably a lot of other people that could say the same thing. I agree. Uh, and just a super fascinating guy. So you're going to hear today him talk about um, his guitar playing, his son that is a blues musician at 18 and yeah. like goes on the road and goes on tour. He told me, uh, I was talking with his wife today and apparently Dr. Levin was at uh, some blues charity in Columbus this weekend yeah. and Ben was on stage playing. And then next thing you know, Eric Clapton is on stage playing guitar with him. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that wild? 
18 years old. 18 years old, seeing the world, playing playing piano. And, and I'm telling you, like, you will probably, if you're listening to this podcast, God bless you. And <laughs> you're probably going to take a break and YouTube Ben Levin afterwards. And it, you'll see, like, yeah, an 18-year-old boy who just has, like, the moxie and carries the room of, like, a 50-year-old man that has really felt pain. He can sing the blues. <laughs> it's amazing to me. Yeah. Uh, so let's jump into the interview with Dr. Levin. Joining us now from Northern Kentucky University is Dr. Aaron Levin. Dr. Levin, thank you so much. Good afternoon. Good to be here with one of my favorite former students. <laughs> ah, thank, you. thank you. We're off to a good start. I appreciate it. Um, well, then, we talk about you a lot. I know I've given my origin story on the podcast before. Brian's given his. And like whenever we give these origin stories, I think we started out just because whenever you ask about how do you get to market research, no one's ever... Like, I knew it from when I was a kid, right? right? Exactly. Some people were out there with astronaut helmets on. I was, you know, toiling around with stats, standard deviations. Um, <laughs> sure. So how did, how did you get into market research? Well, I, I have to be honest. The first time I was asked to teach market research at uh, University of Kentucky as a grad student, I was terrified. Yeah. <laughs> um, they just, you know, they hand you a book as a grad, grad student. And a couple of days before class, they teach this one. And everybody sort of wants to teach principles of marketing and advertising. Sure. Yeah. And, and um, so I just kind of got, got thrown into the fire of teaching it. And uh, it, it wasn't so bad. I got it done. I did okay. But I didn't really love it until I got to work with companies. And that's when yeah. I came to NKU which is why I came to NKU because it's in a you know metropolitan area here in Cincinnati area, which you know we've got all yeah. the great companies like you guys, all the research suppliers, branding companies, CPGs, etc. And I think when I really fell in love with it was when I discovered the power of data to right. to really give the marketers the aha. Here's here's what the data is saying. And then to be able to convey that to my students and right. to be able to share my enthusiasm with working with companies and sure. being able to help them unlock all these secrets as far as what product should we offer, what price points, you know, how, right. how do we best promote it, what segment should we aim for. It, it, the more I got excited about it, the more I got my students excited about yeah. it. And then it was just, uh, you know, the energy goes back, back and forth. They, they come back to me like you. You're yeah. always, you've always been really grateful. Yeah. And, you know, we've got a lot of ex Levin students out there and that, that gets me even more excited. So it was kind of an evolution. It wasn't, it wasn't really like an overnight wake up in the morning and sure. I want to, I want to teach market research. It was kind of the opposite. I didn't right. really want to teach it at the beginning. <laughs> so, so that's kind of, I sort of backed into it, I guess. So how long have you been at NKU now? 18 years, 18 wow. years. Yeah. Time flies though. It, right. You're telling me. It's, uh, <laughs> when I think of when I started here and the changes, well, the changes in, at NKU, the growth, you know, right. you saw a lot of growth and just changes in the Cincinnati region. When it right. got here, it was, not even close to what it is now with OTR and the banks and all the development right. and everything. So yeah, time flies. <laughs> How was, have you noticed any kind of change? I know behaviors of students changes that we talk about millennials and things like that, and how things yeah. change, but yeah. have you noticed anything change as far as how students or how your students have approached to market research or how any type of different ebbs and flows and enthusiasm? Cause we're always trying to gauge like, is this industry growing? Like, is there, are there new buyers or is it kind of like a reallocation? But I wonder, like, as people get into the industry, are our students? 
You know what I'm changing. finding, actually? I don't know if this is going to answer your question, Adam. No, yeah. I'm finding we have a broader group of students who go into research that they may not go into the traditional. Traditionally, I worked with the research suppliers. Right, right. And now it seems like to succeed in marketing for entry-level jobs, students have to have analytical minds. Right. I mean, every job now, if you look at the job descriptions that come out, they're talking about web metrics. They're talking about analytics. They're right. talking about being comfortable with with programming even and statistical knowledge. So I would say that the biggest change that I'm seeing is that this little corner that we used to talk about, well, it's just a little corner. If you're interested in, in data and why things, why the needle moves this way or that way, I find that corner is all of a sudden expanding to, to marketing as a whole that, that all of our students need to be trained in, in understanding data and, and not just, not just cranking out numbers. Maybe some are good at cranking out numbers. Maybe others are better at the insights yeah. and understanding how to apply that. Some are good at um, visualizing, making beautiful charts that right. are easy to easy to read. Uh, but but what I find, I guess, to, to circle back is that more and more all all business students, not just marketing, but the marketing students, the ones I deal with, have to be more savvy with uh, analytics than than when I first started teaching. It was more of a seem more like a niche of of yeah. data analysis and understanding. I 100% agree. And I, cause I think back to when I was graduating and I really, I couldn't figure out where my job or where coming out of school, like where my fit was. Like it was like, I knew I could do a little bit of math. I could do a little bit of some of the thing. Like I was okay, but it wanted to where sales was like my spot. But now it seems like the door is a lot more open, right? I mean, if big data or any kind of analysis where you're getting the data there's so many more ways to get it there's so many more ways to give it absolutely um it's opened up everything and, and that's what we talk about as far as buyers in the industry when i first started it was like we got that hot michael top 50 and you're like you're that those are your 50 those are the 50 that count right and now it's everyone every brand is buying some every brand is trying to find out what their customers think what their potential customers do and like the market research aspect of it. Maybe we don't use the words market research as much, right? but it's there. It's more broad than it's ever been. Brian, any thoughts on that? I agree. I remember when I was in grad school, this was about almost 20 years ago. I remember I'm thinking I wasn't, I was good, really good at math, but like advanced analytics, I wasn't, I hated like multiple regression and getting into really sophisticated stuff, but I remember I didn't have to. There was a group of students that did and a group of students that didn't, and it was fine. Now I feel like you kind of need to know that stuff as a base level to get into the industry. Um, not just really in market research, but other industries as well, like you're saying. So I, I agree with that. I just hadn't thought of it before, I guess. Right. It's a lot different now. Um, and then I, you've seen kind of the, the rise of like market research master's programs. I think when I graduated, was either you went to Georgia and I think Southeast Missouri. Uh, somewhere in Illinois. Somewhere in right? Illinois, yeah. 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 But now, yeah, I mean, popping they're, up they're everywhere. popping up everywhere now. Yeah. yeah it's big growth. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about MRPP. Um, can you tell us a little bit when it started, what sure. your goal is, what it is, things like that? Yeah. Well, I hit the ground running because my boss, my chair, who hired me, my second year as a faculty member, so he didn't give me much much uh, chance to get any traction or even figure out what the heck was going on. Right. Um, he said, uh, Aaron, he says, we have a lot of market research companies 
in Cincinnati, and I don't think the, all the universities in town are capitalizing on that as well. So go knock on the doors. Here's, <laughs> here's the names and numbers of all the CEOs of all the Nielsen, <laughs> Ipsos, <laughs> and, and uh, Nielsen had a variety of different divisions at sure. that, that time, um, Basies and, and others. And so I did. I went and knocked on doors. I was, I was nervous and scared. Yeah. I was relatively young, early 30s, and... Um, that was kind of my first exposure to, you know, I'd been sprinting so fast through the PhD program. I loved working with students. And this is when I really realized, hey, working with industry is exciting, right. fun, and it brings benefits to our students. So we got connected with a group of, you know, the blue chip companies here in um, in the Cincinnati area. And we started working with them, bringing them into our classes, having them uh, play a pivotal role in the consulting projects that we did for nonprofits and small businesses. And then they see our students, they say, Hey, so-and-so was real good at the analytics part, or this student was great at presenting, right. send them over for an interview. And that just, everything just, the, the gates just oh, flew open. And then now 18, 17 years later, um, I'm real proud that I, I've got the business cards of, sure, of, yeah. of, of over 140 of my former students wow. who are working at, at all the EMI, Ipsos, Burke, Directions, Nielsen, Market right. Vision, Dunhumby, etc. Jeez. Yeah, 8451, excuse me. Not, yeah. Not <laughs> yeah. Hard to keep track sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they're having the same problem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It's just such a great story. I mean, I kind of tie that back to what we were talking about beginning. Like, how did you get into market research? And, like... And we, we talk, I mean, we talk weird big picture sometimes, but like the first step is always the hardest, right? And everything, like you can always have aspirations. You always have things that you want to do, but like, there's never that first step. No one gives you that first step. And the MRPP program for me was that first step. Like I knew I wanted, I, I had a job, I was working at the ballpark for the Reds, which would be like a dream job. But I knew that wasn't like, there was a ceiling on me and I wanted to get out and but I didn't know what that first step was going to be yeah. until this program. Well, that's what about. we're that's what we're doing. We're exposing students to market researchers, and we're trying to get them excited about it yeah. as a career. Because traditionally, it's been a hard sell. Marketing students want to when they think, "Oh, I want to go into marketing. I want to yeah. be creative." You're right. And right. that's that's great. Lots of room for advertising, copywriters, etc. But we want to open their eyes to also how great of a career and, and fun yeah. market research can be. And now we're to the point where I'm bringing back my alumni and they talk to the students and the students sitting in the classroom are able to then visualize and say, wow, that, you know, they were in my seat eight years ago, 10 years ago, 12 years ago. And, and now some of them are getting to be VPs of their companies, yeah. my former students, which yeah. is real exciting. It's so it's real aspirational. It shows the students um, what they can be. Can I tell a funny little story? I mean, yeah. we, we were yeah. here about this you, Adam. It's about you, Adam. Okay. All right. It's about, how, great. My, it's about how my students oh, I'm listening. support me. <laughs> it's about how my students support me. And uh, you remember this, I yeah. think. This yeah, has been good. years ago, 10 years ago. Yeah, I don't know. When, when did you graduate? 12 years ago? 12 years ago. 12 years ago. Yeah. So this is 10 years ago. And I was being interviewed on the radio for a study I did in greater Cincinnati on entertainment options. And uh, somebody couldn't believe the results. They just said, no, there's no way. How could that number can't be true? They only talked to 500 people. They never talked to me. So yeah. this data can't be valid. Okay. Right. Right. To which I explain, you know, the yeah. basics of sampling. Yeah. And, uh, 
Adam somehow responded, I think maybe on a, maybe it was a newspaper. It was like a transcript of the interview. Yeah. And yeah. It, was, it was online. And Adam, I'm not even going to say what you said, but you, you came to my defense. <laughs> I got heated. You, you came to my defense. You cut this poor person down saying, you have no idea what statistical sampling is. Oh, wow. And you really stood up for me. And I Thank appreciate it. No, no, no problem. That. It was, uh, <laughs> was kind of funny. That was the first time I ever lost my mind on the internet, which seems to happen now. <laughs> Yeah, it's often, but it's uh, commonplace. Can we find this article? Probably not. It's buried. It's buried. <laughs> Producer Brian on it. We buried it. But anyway, I appreciate that. It's fun mentoring young researchers like you and, and so many hundreds of others and seeing their success and seeing how they're building the industry and, and watching it change and helping yeah. making it change. Um, yeah. So it's really fun, really gratifying to me. Oh, that's great. Um, so outside of the teaching, you're doing some consulting as well. How does that? Well, I have, yeah, for the last 10 years. Uh, my time is a little limited right now. That At this particular sure, time, yeah. I just became department chair. So, oh, that's great. Well, yes, thanks. Kind of if they <laughs> promote you, um, well, what do they say to promote you to the highest level of incompetency? That's or right. Like that? Yeah, <laughs> I'm experiencing the same. That's good. Um, so anyway, you know, I have over the last 10 or 12 years had a, a lot of fun working with companies from small restaurants right on up to the Googles of the world and working on everything, concept yeah. development, the pricing research, segmentation. And that is really important to me uh, for a number of reasons. But one is I bring it back to the classroom. And yeah. obviously, I, don't, I can't share proprietary findings or anything, but it gives me a whole different perspective than, than what the textbook does. The textbook oh, yeah. tends to be for sure. you know pretty... Well, let's face it, the market research textbook hasn't changed, hasn't changed. since 1970, yeah. but market research right. changes every day. And so right. it gives me a lot of, um, my students tend to listen real carefully when I say, hey, I did a large study for a packaged goods company. Here's the issue we had with the sample, and here's why we had to uh, shift to this. It just uh, right. it's, gives me more of a, you know, I got some skin in the game by, by doing these right. consulting projects. So. I enjoy it. Oh, it's great. I enjoy it. I I remember, man, I think my first class I had with you, and I mean, this is 15 years ago, 14 years ago, probably. And um, like it was day one, how to, what is market research? And you told the story about how you just bought an Acura that had a tape player in it. Oh, yeah. And you were like, why is there a tape player in my Acura? Like, there's, like it's totally outdated. This is in 2002. Well, this was, no, this was 2006 because it was... Oh, when, really? It was when I turned 40 years old. Okay. And <laughs> you were like, well, how in this year is there a tape player? And it came back. They had done the market... Re- you called and asked and they had done the market research and the majority of their owners like to listen to books on tape. And that's why they put the tape players still in their car. Well, let me correct that for a second. <laughs> okay, let me just correct that for one second. So I asked the guy who was giving me the test drive, who probably ah, had no yeah. idea why the cassette player was in a car. And I, it was the year right before they put the port for like an iPod. Oh, or okay. So I yeah. missed out on that by one year. But he said, I think... I think focus groups told them that. Oh, okay. And they're, you know, I'm 
we joke. Of course, us quant people, we always we have our little friendly battles with the qual people. Right. And I said, sure, you talked to seven people, and, and four of them said they wanted a tape player. So you went and made the decision to build millions of cars based on one that. loud needle man. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's a, one loud right. That's, that's a better story. That's yeah. a better yeah. story. That's, yeah. that's, that's good. Fun. So you remember? I'm glad you you got something out of yeah. those classes. That was it. No, that's uh, one thing. One thing. Oh, uh, we'll move now into the fun stuff. So this is. Is like we took the four P's, the marketing mix, and it came up with our own four words to start with the P. And we asked all of our guests. It's kind of a more personal, get to know you type level. So the first P is playlist. So what are the last three songs that you listen to? Well, on my way over here in the car, I heard the Toto version of Africa. Yeah. yeah. Which is unusual because now you're hearing the Weezer version. I hate that version. Oh, I don't know. I think they both sound kind of the same, actually. I'm not sure why they needed to remake it. But anyway, I heard that. And then, you know, I'm a huge blues fan. So yeah. this morning I was listening to uh, some Ben Levin. Okay. Uh, my son. Familiar with blues. The yeah. yeah, my son. And uh, last night I was listening to the radio. At 10 o'clock, they, they get the lead out on one of the stations. So I've. Growing up in the 70s and 80s, I, I love Led Zeppelin. So those are about my last three. Uh, Africa, my son, Ben Levin, who's a blues piano player, and Led Zeppelin. Wow. Uh, it's pretty great. Yeah. It's diverse. That's, that's, that's really the most diverse, diverse one we've had so far, <laughs> for sure. Uh, next one is P for Pride. Um, what's your biggest source of pride that you find in teaching, work, anything? Yeah. Well, obviously my family. I'm real proud of my my sons, my older son just ran a marathon. He ran the flying pig, something that wow. I can never do. I'm just, it's neat to see your kids grow and do things that you can't do. Right. And then the younger son, the musician, well, it's, uh, I'm a musician too, but this young man has surpassed me. He just played a tour in Europe this summer. So I'm pretty proud of that. Did, oh, wow. did a tour of Jeez. Europe last summer as well. And, and my wife and I get to tag along. And, That's nice. Yeah. Um, now he's going to be 19 later this year, so he may not invite us to tag along. <laughs> I've reminded him that we can go on vacation wherever we choose. So, <laughs> so anyway, I didn't know you were going to be here. This yeah, is great. that's right. He doesn't have to travel with us. And then pride, um, really, every day with working with students and seeing them become successful ethical business people and giving back to the, you know, how right. they, they get successful. They take care of their families. They take care of their community. They give back to society. Uh, I've been really, really lucky to have that impact on students. It's just, um, it's very, very fortunate to be able to do that. Very proud. Right. Uh, next P is perform. So what is something that most people don't know about you? What is kind of your hidden talent? <laughs> There's not much hidden about yeah, it. Yeah, that's right. right. I'm yeah. transparent. Yeah. So I've been playing in bands for over 25 years. That's how I worked my way through graduate school. My professors weren't all that happy when they found out I was <laughs> hanging out in the bars till 2 a.m. To, to make extra money and, and playing music. But that's what I did and that's what I've done. And I love it and love uh, passing that on. And, and now my son and I collaborate. We. Uh, we performed together, and he let he did a CD, and I recorded some guitar on his CD, and we're going to do another one here coming up in the next wow. few months. So yeah, jeez, um, yeah. Last one is people. So this one we always do like a Mount Rushmore, so it's oh, top okay. four ever. So what are your uh, top four guitarists ever? Oh my gosh, only four? only four. Okay, well I got to make this fast. Then I'm going <laughs> to say some probably ones that people don't know about. Freddie King was a blues guitar player. He recorded a lot of his stuff right here in Cincinnati yeah. in the '60s. King Records. So Freddie King, of course, you got to put Jimi Hendrix on there, right? Sure. Yeah. 
Um, gosh, I'm going to think outside the box here. I'm going to say Alex Lifeson from Rush. Really? Underrated. No one ever thinks of it. I mean, you always did the drums, right? Uh, I mean, one, yeah. of my, one of my favorites, Alex Lifeson. Yeah, and fourth, oh, this is an easy one. Again, maybe a lot of people won't recognize it. Django Reinhardt was a uh, jazz, a gypsy jazz guitar player in the 30s and 40s. Really? I think he died in the 50s, and he was a true gypsy throughout Europe from France, and he, in a fire in his caravan, his uh, he lost two of his fingers on his hand that you fret. So he learned how to play. Really? He was he already knew how to play and he had to relearn. He was like in rehab for over a year, which was just gypsy rehab. Right. And they, sure. they took care of him. He almost died and he learned how to play with two fingers and he was the greatest, in my opinion, jazz guitar player of all the time. So there you go. Wow. Freddie King. Jimi Hendrix, Alex Lifeson, Django Reinhardt. Django Reinhardt. I'm all right. I'm writing Look that down. Up. I will. Look him up. I think you forgot a couple. Go. I was gonna put John Mott, John Mayer on there and Taylor Swift. I feel like I like your first one. I don't like your second one. John Mayer actually. Okay. Oh, is he? He's actually okay. I mean, he's touring with the Dead now and doing and doing all that. Taylor Swift. Mine was kind of a joke list. <laughs> and I, I was hoping John Mayer was a joke, but he's actually pretty good. Exactly, so kind of exactly pretty good. Yeah. He is good. Okay. Um, I um, so I think when I first started listening to real music, like in college, because um, everything was just pop, and then you go through like you go through pop, then you go through like a hip hop stage, and then like it, the older music, so like Zeppelin. But I never wanted to hear Zeppelin. I never wanted to hear Pink Floyd or anybody like that. And um, but Tim Routes for Dave Matthews got me into listening to guitar. So it started with acoustic. I remember like the Luther College album, which is Tim and Dave, and then when he started playing with the band, he started playing more electric. Oh wow! And that led me into Hendrix and Zeppelin and interesting. All that an underrated one, I think, is Prince, especially oh. from Purple Rain. Oh yeah! Oh my gosh, that's amazing! And I just want to plug the movie Purple Rain. I think it's one of my top five movies of all time. Yeah, we talk about Purple Rain a lot. I feel like on this podcast. <laughs> the kids haven't seen it. <laughs> it all comes back to Purple Rain. <laughs> it does. Um, oh, that's great. Well, Doctor Levin, thank you so much that was for a coming. Lot of fun. It's uh, you for yeah, me. we appreciate it, and um, we're looking forward to just hearing more and keep in touch about NKU. And and I know that like we're gonna start looking now for more guests in the area that have been too. Like, talked it. Abby France and Andrew Stevie and all that, like the direct side people try to get them on us too. And, and yeah. you always come up whenever I have a conversation. Well, thank I appreciate you. it. That makes me, again, that is a great source of pride for me. Yeah, I, I would like to say, you know, thanks for what you do for the community. And honestly, you're the, you're one of the best things in terms of talent and placing people and the networking. And I'm not, I'm not an NKU grad, but I'm fortunate enough to kind of be an adopted NKU grad. I get invited to some of these things. It's amazing what you do for the community. And we needed a market research, so you know, thank you. Oh, my pleasure. We're, we're, we're happy to adopt you. You get honorary nurse. I'll take it. Get you some horns. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Doctor Levin. Thanks so much, Doctor Levin. Um, great interview. Learned so much. Got a little misty. I'll yes. be honest. Um, so let's move into our non-research rant of the week. Brian, what's your rant? Oh. And this, this might hit close to home. Okay. I'm going to say it. So we, uh, if you haven't been into our office for years, way before I got here, we play music all day long every day. If you come into our office, you would hear any variety of music. Literally, the, from the moment we walk in the door 
producer Brian turns it on and whoever the last person here is, not me, turns it off at the end of the day. And I think generally music is fantastic. This is a long intro, by the way. Am I? Um, but sometimes one of my biggest rants is when we play these like cover songs that are like not, I mean, some songs, okay, you can cover them all day long every day, but some are just ridiculous cover songs. Um, like we talked about just a minute ago, the Africa by Weezer. Like, I think it's an okay version. I heard, um, is it Bridge Over Troubled Water that some like hardcore Whoa, band really? recorded that's yeah. ridiculous that my 16 year old is playing all the time and it just ruins. And I, the reason I don't like it is I feel like now there's this whole generation of people that think Weezer created this song. And if you're around the eighties, it was such a huge hit. I'm like, Oh, this song I forget about Weezer. No, no, they're wrong. Am I wrong on this? Well, you have thoughts on this? Um, I play a lot of cover songs. Most of the time I play cover songs once though. Yeah. Yep. I think there's probably a 30% success rate with cover songs. Yeah. Um, and mainly I don't mind a cover song if it's something different, like a different type of band. Yeah. Yeah. Playing something, but in the kind of the same style yeah. as the original. So like a, a heavy metal band playing Bridger Cobble Water, that's not for me. Right. But <laughs> if, if they're playing it in the style of that, yeah. Eh, I'm okay. You know? I think it's just such a lack of creativity. It's basically glorified karaoke. What are we doing? Are you going to pay to watch? Do you go to karaoke bars to watch? Right. No, exactly. you go to participate. Right. Exactly. That's better right. said than me. I think there are some, like live, sometimes if you throw in like one or two songs, like a lot of people did covers of Prince songs after he died. Yeah. It's like a tribute. Okay. I'm, that's cool. cool. It's a cool moment. I'll, yeah. I'll listen to that. But just, you know, covering anything if randomly, I just, I hate it. I love, uh, and you can follow this. I, mean, I like Dave Matthews Band, whatever. And <laughs> if you go like every summer when Dave goes on tour, he plays one or two cover songs. Yeah. And you can follow it. Like if you look at, listen to like the live CDs, you can always, oh, that year was, okay, cool. Um, Burning Down the House or something that was like his year or Cashmere. That was the year he did Cashmere. Yeah. And that is okay with me. It's like a band I came to see at a band I like. Yeah. Playing a song that I might have had. And then sometimes he covers songs I had no idea. Yeah. Um, he did Long Black Veil, uh, which was like I didn't know was an original. Like Weezer with Africa. Yeah. And it opened up my eyes towards yeah. like the Rolling Stones and stuff. Um, even Cashmere was kind of like that because I think you hear the the guitar riff to Cashmere, but like you yeah. don't. So I was like, that's not Zeppelin, right? right? Um, but I try every one of them. There's that Ed yeah. Sheeran, uh, Hit Me Baby One More Time. Oh. It catches me a little bit. Oh, it's just the worst. Like, I think those are meant to be seen kind of like live or like on an award show, maybe. Yeah. When you're already in the the groove. Yeah. Yeah. On the radio. Yeah. That's a big hit. Yeah. Yeah. Don't do that on the radio. That's horrible. Um, I think that as long as you're not trying to make money off of it, like the Dave Matthews example. Yeah. He's just doing it to have fun. Break it up. Yeah. Break it up a little. That's cool. But yeah, other stuff. No, I'm out. That does it for this week's episode of IntelliCast. You can see us. Um, at the GLC Fall Meeting, uh, Insights Association puts it on September 5th through 7th. We actually host the Research Rumble Scavenger Hunt. It's year number two of us scaving it up. And that's going to be on September 6th. Actually, next week's guest is associated. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Next week's guest associated with the Insights Association GLC is uh, Damon Jones of Burke. Oh, big guest. He's the best. 
Uh, we'll also see us at the AMA Ignite event September 22nd in Cincinnati. You'll actually be seeing uh, Andrew DeSillis and uh, Brandon Lamar. Yeah, I'll be there. That's great. Brandonmonium, October 2nd through 5th in Cincinnati. Uh, Sarah Getz will be there. And then the uh, Insight Association CRC, which is October 8th through 10th in uh, the beautiful city of Orlando we were just talking about. Why wouldn't you go there uh, with Tony Brown? Um, funny how neither of us are going to that conference. Uh, that does it for episode 27. We look forward to seeing you guys next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.